Our reading this morning comes from 2 Corinthians 5, verses 1 to 10. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. Because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened. Because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. So that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God who has given us the spirit as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Therefore we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith not by sight. We are confident I say and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we may get our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Mike, and good morning. It's lovely to be with you. Uh, if I haven't met you before, I'm Reuben. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm excited to open up God's Word again with you this morning. Uh, you might notice that after this, I run away. Uh, that's because I haven't been particularly well this weekend, and I don't want to share uh, those things with you. Uh, now, you're also going to notice that we're going to shift gears at this point in the service, uh, and we're going to move from thinking about uh, Freedom Sunday and IJM uh, to our Hot Topic series that we've been in for the past few weeks. I don't know if you noticed as you walked in today, but there's actually an elephant in the room today. If you look closely, actually, you probably notice this elephant uh, in a lot of rooms, wherever you go in life. Uh, I'm talking about the death elephant. I'm talking about the fact that one day, all of us are going to die. And it's not really surprising we don't talk about that much, is it? Because it's a bit of a mood killer. Uh, and so if we do have to speak about death, you might have noticed we often use uh, more gentle phrases. We might say that someone passed away. We might say they've gone to sleep or rest in peace. Others of us prefer to use a bit of humor uh, to diffuse the situation. And so we say, well, they kicked the bucket, uh, went belly up, uh, bit the dust, pushing daisies six feet under. Well, today we are going to talk about the elephant in the room. We're going to talk about death, and we're particularly going to ask the question, where do we go when we die? You've probably heard lots of different opinions on this. Some say that when you die, well, that's it. You just cease to exist. Others say that when you die, you go to heaven. Some believe in reincarnation. Some believe in purgatory. And I've noticed recently, more and more, uh, people talk about their loved ones still being with them and still watching over them. 
Uh, if you watch reality TV, you'll see this in an interview where someone says, oh, I'm doing this for, for this loved one who passed away recently, and I, I'm doing it to make them proud, and I know they're with me and they're watching. But wh- what about for us, for those of us here today who are Christians? We also talk a lot about going to heaven. Uh, we talk about how Jesus gives us eternal life. We talk about these great new resurrection bodies that we're going to get one day. And yet when, when push comes to shove, I think many of us are actually a, a little unsure of what actually happens when we die. And it's often not till someone close passes away from us that that question becomes incredibly real. And we, we just really want to know, where, where are they right now? Did they go to heaven? Are they in purgatory? Are they in hell? Are they just unconscious in the ground? Have, have they got their new bodies yet? And that's, that's what we're going to think about this morning. And, and if you're grieving the loss of a loved one, then I'm sure I don't have to tell you that this is a relevant question. Uh, I know it matters to you. Of course you want to know where they are right now. But even if that's not a particularly personal issue that you're wrestling with at the moment, it's still a good question to consider. It's important to talk about the elephant in the room. Thinking about these things can actually give us less fear, more confidence and more hope for the future. So let's get into it. According to the Bible, where do we go when we die? I want to start by mentioning three views that I don't think fit with what the Bible says. And the first view is this. It's that when a believer dies, they immediately receive their new resurrection body. Now, it's very true that every Christian will one day be raised, and not just as spirits, but as as full, real people with physical bodies. That's true. Scripture is clear about that. For example, Philippians 3 verse 20, Paul says, We eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to control everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies that they will be like his glorious body. That's what, that's what we're promised. But that doesn't happen the second we die. It happens when Jesus returns again, appearing in the clouds in glory, and we're still waiting for that day. So the question is, what happens in the intermediate state in between your death now and your bodily resurrection one day. Well, that brings us to another faulty view, which is purgatory. According to the Roman Catholic Church, purgatory is where many believers go after they die. Why is that? Well, according to the Catechism of the Catholic Church, I quote, All who die in God's grace and friendship, but still imperfectly purified, are indeed assured of their eternal salvation, but after death they undergo purification, so as to achieve the holiness necessary to enter the joy of heaven. End quote. So in other words, purgatory is kind of like a holding place that you go as a Christian to put the finishing touches on your salvation so that you can get into heaven. And apparently, loved ones left behind here on earth can actually pray to speed that process up. And it also helps if you spend some money. The problem is the Bible never says anything like this. 
In fact, it's really clear that sinners are justified, that is, they're made completely right with God, the moment they put their faith in Jesus. Romans 3, verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we don't need any further purification because at the moment we're saved, every Christian is already completely innocent, declared not guilty. We don't need to make any additional atonement for our sins because Jesus paid for them once and for all on the cross, didn't he? All right, so if believers don't immediately receive their resurrection bodies and they don't go to purgatory, then what happens when they die? Well, there's one more faulty view that we need to be clear about, and that is soul sleep. You might have heard of this. Soul sleep says that at death, all people enter an unconscious state. Uh, It's like someone just hits a big pause button, and your soul and your body, they stay together in a state of complete unconsciousness until resurrection day when Jesus comes back. And it's never been a very popular view in the church, but currently today, Seventh-day Adventists do still hold to this. Why? Why do they believe it? Well, there are lots of verses in the Bible that talk about death as, as falling asleep. And there are also some verses that speak of death as a place where you're no longer conscious. Uh, so, for example, Ecclesiastes 9 verse 10 says, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the realm of the dead where you are going, there is neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. So, the question we have to wrestle with here is, well, what does the Bible mean when it talks about death as, being, as falling asleep? It, it seems to be picture language, a metaphor for the fact that death is only temporary for Christians. We kind of think death is game over, but for God, to raise the dead is as easy as to wake someone up from sleep. You might remember in Matthew 9, a little girl died. And Jesus said, she's not dead, but asleep. And then he, he raised her in an instant. Or again in John 11, when Jesus' friend Lazarus had died, and Jesus referred to him as only being asleep. And then he simply said, Lazarus, come out, and four-day-old Lazarus walked out of the tomb. That seems to be the point of saying that a Christian has fallen asleep. It's that death is temporary, and God can easily wake us. It's true, our bodies, in a sense, sleep after we die. But the Bible doesn't teach that our souls also sleep in that state of unconsciousness. It might look like that from an earthly perspective, because you can't see a soul. I think that's what Ecclesiastes 9 is getting at. Death will bring an end to all your earthly plans and activities and thoughts. But that doesn't necessarily mean that your soul has actually entered this unconscious state. Well, that brings us back to the question we're asking. Where do we go immediately after we die? And actually, the Bible doesn't have a lot to say on this. 
because it's, it mostly is focused on the return of Jesus and, and resurrection day. But there is enough evidence in the Bible to say, we're going to look at it now, that when a believer dies, their body decays while their spirit goes straight to heaven to be with Jesus. Do you remember when the thief was hanging on the cross next to Jesus at the crucifixion and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, Today, you will be with me in paradise. Not in 3,000 years or whenever I return. And presumably not, well, you'll be with me, but you'll be completely oblivious to it because you'll be unconscious. In Philippians 1 verse 23, Paul says, To live is Christ and to die is gain. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. So it's, it's clear in Paul's mind, when he dies, he'll be with Christ. Not, not a dead, unconscious Christ, but a living, reigning Christ in heaven. And he says, that option is better by far. I don't think that's something you would say about soul sleep or non-existence. I mean, at least right now, we have fellowship with Jesus in some imperfect but genuine sense. Paul's understanding of the intermediate state is, is simple, but it's pretty clear. In a nutshell, for Paul, it means to be with Christ. That's what it means. Another verse in Hebrews 12, 23 says that as Christians, we've come to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. It's saying when we gather and worship God here on earth, we're actually joining with the spirits of those Christians who have already died and are in heaven worshiping God as well. Uh, in Revelation 6, John has a vision of heaven and he says, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. These souls under the altar, what do, what do they do? They call out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? So, so John sees the souls of martyred Christians, and they're in heaven with God, and they're still waiting for the second coming of Christ. And then there's that passage we read before in 2 Corinthians 5, and in verse 8, Paul said that he would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. It's worth taking a look at that passage a bit more closely. Crack it open uh, again if you haven't got it in front of you. 2 Corinthians 5, uh, let's look at verse 1 together. It says, For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Now, I'm not sure if you've ever camped in a tent, but Paul says that's kind of what it's like to live right now in these bodies. Uh, and Paul would have known what that was like because he was a tent maker by trade. He knew that tents could get pretty tatty and worn out. I remember one night, Sean and I were camping, uh, and in the middle of the night, one of the tent pegs just went ping and... There was just this big hole 
uh, that opened up in the top with a, with a pole poking through. And then there were other nights where it was just freezing cold. There were nights when the, the rainwater actually came into the tent. And there were the nights where the air mattress went down and we woke up on the ground. And Sean will tell you that when I come home to our house after a week of camping, I look like an idiot. I walk into the house and I go over to the dining table and I just kind of go, oh, it's so flat. Oh, it's so solid. And there's air conditioning and the roof doesn't leak. And look, there's a full kitchen and the toilet flushes. I'm just running around like a madman. And, and Paul's saying, well, our bodies right now, they're like flimsy tents. But when we die, we will receive a building from God, an eternal house in heaven. He's talking about our new resurrection bodies. Incredible, eternal, physical bodies. Never grow weary or old. Never get sick or break down. But for Paul, this glorious future isn't just about a body. It's more than that. It's about the glory of heaven. It's about coming home. See verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. In other words, in this life right now, we have fellowship with Jesus. But it's by faith, not by sight. It's kind of like a long-distance relationship. leaves a lot to be desired. In Paul's words, we're, we're currently away from the Lord. But then, he says in verse 8, We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Notice that this home is less about a place and it's more about a person. Uh, it reminds me of that song I love by Edward Sharp and the Magnetic Zeros. The chorus says, Home is wherever I'm with you. And for the Christian, home is about being with the Lord. Home is that, that special place of security, of love, of belonging, of peace. And friends, if you trust in Jesus... Death is simply the doorway into that home. It's not something terrifying or terrible. It's actually the end of our pilgrimage here on earth. It's our coming home. And it begins the moment we die. In that moment, our souls go to be with the Lord. In that moment, the rest of our lives begin. We shouldn't really think of you know, the intermediate state and then over here there's a resurrection state as if they're two radically different things. They're really two phases of one united future. Heavenly glory for the rest of eternity, first as a soul, then with a body. So we're asking the question, where do we go when we die? I think the Bible's pretty clear that temporarily our bodies and souls will be separated the body decays, but the soul of the believer goes immediately into heaven, into the presence of God. What is it like to be in that state? Paul says, it's better by far. And he says, he would prefer it, because then he's at home with the Lord. In the presence of Jesus, continuously, consciously, 
It is a state where your faith becomes sight. And all physical pain is gone. And all struggle with sin is gone. Revelation 14 verse 13 describes it as a state of bliss and rest. It says this, Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, says the Spirit, they will rest from their labor for their deeds will follow them. But it's also a state of incompleteness and anticipation. It's a state of longing for our salvation to be complete, still waiting for Jesus to come again and to make all things new. Longing for a physical body, longing for the whole universe to be remade. Now you might be thinking, okay, great, but I'm not dead. So what does all of this mean for us here today, right now? What difference is this going to make in our lives this week? That's what we want to think about before we finish. The first thing this does is it shows us how important it is to belong to Jesus. If you're here today or you're listening online and that's not you, you haven't put your faith in Jesus, then please hear these beautiful words Jesus said in John 11 when he stood outside the tomb of his friend Lazarus. I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? That's the question Jesus asks you this morning. Do you believe this? Will you believe that clear evidence that Jesus really died and really rose to save you and me from sin and death? Or, or will you ignore that? That will make the difference between whether death is the most beautiful homecoming or the most terrifying day of your life. Let's talk about the elephant in the room. We are all going to die. The question is, where, where will you go after that? I know your body will stay here, but, but, but where will your spirit go? Jesus once told a story of two men. There was a rich man. He lived this amazing life of luxury. And there was a miserable beggar. And they died, and the happy, successful, rich man immediately found himself in Hades, in a place of torment, and the miserable beggar went to heaven. What, what was the difference? Was it because one was good and the other was bad? Well, no. Actually, they both deserved that eternity of suffering, because both of them have done the same thing that we have all done, and that has rejected the Almighty God and chosen a life of sin. The only difference was that the beggar admitted his sin and asked God to save him. And the rich man didn't. What, what was the point of Jesus telling this story? Well, he, he wants us to understand there are only two places to go after we die. Everyone will go to one or the other. And he wants us to realize that the decision will be final. At that point, the rich man actually in the story, he begs for some relief and he's told, I'm sorry, there is a great chasm 
between these two places and no one can, no one can pass between them. And so Jesus, he comes to each of us today and he says, now, right now, is the moment to decide where you want to spend eternity. And if you choose a life without God, that is exactly what you will get forever. And I can't think of anything worse. But if you, if you choose God, if you want to come home, then hear this incredibly good news this morning. You can. You can. It's not because you deserve it or I deserve it. It's because Jesus has died our death and given us his life. And the choice really is yours. And I don't think there's any time, like right now, to decide. Because now is the day of salvation. That's the first way this impacts us today. It shows us how important it is to belong to Jesus. Second, it spurs us on in the work of evangelism. Let me just for a minute try and channel our late pastor, John DeBoer. The time is so short and the need is so great. Do you ever remember John saying that? It's absolutely right. Now is the day of salvation. And tomorrow? Who knows? Tomorrow may be judgment day. It, it may be too late. And I, I don't say that to strike fear in our hearts. I certainly don't say that to make us reckless or insensitive in our evangelism. Because we find total assurance knowing God is sovereign. He knows who all his people are and he will save all his elect. But that's actually what motivates us to go out. Full of confidence in him. Full of love for others. That's why we pray every day for opportunities to share the gospel. It's why we're so intentional in every relationship. It's why we find whatever chances we can to sow a seed, to speak a little about Jesus, to do what we can. So it's so important to belong to Jesus. This motivates us in evangelism. Third, knowing where we go when we die, means that if we belong to Jesus, we don't have to fear death. In fact, you can look forward to it with joy. Because it's the way home, it's the beginning of the rest of your life. A life lived in the glorious presence of Jesus Christ, your Savior. Fourth, these truths help us when we are grieving the loss of a loved one. Christians grieve differently to others. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 13, Paul says this, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. Okay, so how do, how do Christians grieve differently to the rest of mankind? Well, well, notice we do still grieve. Just notice that for a minute. Of course we do. Death is a wicked thing isn't it? It's the result of sin. It hurts. It especially hurts for those left behind. It's deeply appropriate for Christians to grieve, to mourn, to feel a deep sense of loss and pain. 
But then Paul adds two reasons why our grief is different. First, because we aren't uninformed or ignorant. We know where our loved ones go. And second, that knowledge leads to hope. They're with the Lord, and one day we'll be with them, with the Lord. That leads us to our final thing I want to see. These truths reassure us that our future is not going to be this bodiless life of a soul floating on a cloud, strumming a harp. I don't know how you strum a harp without arms, but thank goodness that the salvation God has planned is far more wonderful than that. Paul goes on in 1 Thessalonians 4 and he says this. Picture this. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. I hope that we will encourage one another with these words over coffee and in the weeks to come. Let's pray together now as we finish. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are the resurrection and the life We thank you that you loved us so much that you died the death we should have died. And you've given us your eternal life, your place in heaven. Father, God, I pray for anyone here today who has not yet put their faith in Jesus. I pray that you will help them to think about the elephant in the room. And the fact that their health and their wealth will one day be gone and to consider where they will go next. And I thank you, Lord, that this is not a message of depressing judgment that we bring today, but a message of incredible hope, of wonderful good news, that there is free, eternal life on offer today through Jesus. And Lord, for all those here today who are grieving, who have tasted death, who are still hurting because of it, I pray that you will comfort them, that as they grieve, they would grieve with knowledge and they would grieve with hope. Thank you, Lord, that there are wonderful things in store for us. Thank you, Lord, that when we die, all those who trust in Jesus can go home and be with you forever. We give you the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.